0: Thanks, Jay. Um, Yeah, today is the last day to turn in uh, applications if you're interested. Uh, I don't even want to say interested because it's not like we need to be interested to follow God in his call to the nations. right? So um, today's the last day to turn in your applications. Um, If you don't feel like God is uh, telling you not to go, then uh, you should do it um, because it's his call that's been placed in our hearts. Amen? All right. So we'll see at least 40 of those applications come in today. Praise God. Uh, Several years ago, I uh, underwent my first colonoscopy, Uh, not a pleasant experience. A colonoscopy is a scope of your colon. Basically what it is, is if you've got issues in your gastrointestinal regions, like in your stomach, there has to be a probe that goes inside to show what's going on below the surface. That can happen in one of two ways. You can go through the top, which is called an endoscopy, or you can go through the bottom, which is called a colonoscopy. Um, I did the colonoscopy, not by choice, but uh, the preparation for it was pretty brutal. You had to drink a bunch of uh, bunch of different drinks, and it would flush out your system, and it was like liquid death every time I drank it. Uh, coming out the backside, it was even worse, but it was necessary in order for the scope to reveal things that I could not see and the doctors could not see otherwise. I remember going in there, and uh, the doctor uh, checked and, and saw what he needed to see and, and came out, and Uh, said everything was fine. And so at the end of it all, I was so thankful. I said, thank you uh, for doing this for me, and thank you for allowing me to go through this. This sermon series that we're in might feel a little bit like a colonoscopy to you. I feel really uncomfortable. You might be like, man, I don't want to sit here, especially like with these people around. This is like embarrassing and, and this is weird, but it's necessary in order for us to see what lies beneath the surface, things that we can't see on our own apart from it. And my hope and my prayer is that you and those whom, with whom you're in relationship with uh, will at the end of the day uh, be thankful for it. We're in a series called, it's not good to be alone, but people annoy me. Anyone resonate with this idea? Yeah, I know it's not going to be a lot, but people are annoying. Yeah, people are annoying. Anyone like that? A few. Okay, a lot of us are like that. I want to try to. The reason we're talking about this, I want to try to itch where uh, scratch where we're itching because I think this is a very real desire. There's an old poem that said, "To dwell above with ones we love, oh, that will be my glory. But to dwell below with ones I know, that's another story." That's true, isn't it? Man, if I could pick who I could take to heaven, that's going to be awesome. But living down here with people that I know, people I work with, people I live with, people that uh, I go to school with, man, that's a completely different story. That's crazy. These people are crazy and they annoy me. Guess what? If you're annoyed by people, then the most probable response and reflexive truth is that you annoy people also. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, the world, 7 billion people except for one exception, is made of other people who are equally annoyed as you are. So we're going to talk about this idea of relationships. In 2009, uh, Griffith University, I think it's a university somewhere in maybe in Australia, but they did this study uh, trying to find the link between uh, illness and relational conflict, especially within families. And to nobody's surprise, they found out the more relational conflict you have, the more illness you have. Things like alcoholism, um, addictions, depression, loneliness, anxiety, and even suicide skyrocket. The more conflict there is that is unresolved within a family. Conflict is real, but at the same time, it's dangerous if we don't know what to deal, do with it. Over the next couple weeks, not today, over the next couple weeks, I want to talk about the biblical prescription. Like, what do we do when we're in conflict? But today, I want to talk about why that happens. Like, why do we have conflict with each other? Why do we fight? Why do we annoy each other? Why do people annoy us? Why can't we all just get along? We're going to find out all of the answers in James chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 3. This is very simple, a very simple message, but I I think it's important because it's easy for us to gloss over and to not really think about. Uh, We think that if we're in conflict, it's because the other person is annoying or because the other person did something wrong, Uh, but there's a deeper heart-level reaction, response, reason uh, that the Bible gives to why we get into conflict so much. James chapter 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 3. This is God's Word. James was a half-brother of Jesus. It says what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something but don't get it. You kill and covet but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight You do not have because you do not ask God, and when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. This is God's Word. We're going to focus on verses 1 and 2, and again, like I said, I'm going to be very simple because James is very simple here. Why do we get into conflict? Um, Just two thoughts. First thing here, very important. Conflict is inevitable because we're selfish, and conflict reveals our desires, If you think, man, if I could just get through life without any relational strife, you're not living on planet Earth. Because as the title of this sermon series says, it's not good to be alone, but people annoy me. That's going to be the fact of life. Conflict is inevitable. Every friendship, every marriage, every parent and child relationship, every house church, there's going to be conflict simply because of this simple fact that we are selfish, and because we're selfish, people will annoy us and we will annoy other people. Even the best marriages, even the best marriages will have conflict. Amen? Married people? Right. Conflict will exist in every Relationship, Even the best of them. One of the things that we do in premarital counseling is we try to dispel this fairy tale myth that everything is going to be great, that all the things that are wrong in your life are all of a sudden going to be better once you get married. It's not. 30% of couples, well, no, couples have said on average they're fighting, their conflict increased by 30% from when they were married as opposed to when they were dating, simply dating or engaged. Conflict increases by 30%. We think opposites attract, but then once we get married, we realize that opposites actually attack. This is the reality of human relationships. There's a fairy tale, Cinderella. I I think a girl was uh, reading, heard the story of Cinderella for the first time, and as the story was being told, it got to the end. And you know how the fairy tale ends. It says, and then they lived happily ever after. The girl looked up and she said, no, they didn't. How could that be? I thought they got married. Because in her mind, she realized, hey, how can you live happily ever after if you're married? Because conflict is real. She was realizing what our Osaka house church shepherd, Charlie Lee, has often said. And I quote him sometimes. He says, if you're going to get married, be prepared to pay for four kinds of rings. An engagement ring, a wedding ring, a suffer ring, and a boxing ring. You can quote Brother Charlie on that. Because that's the reality. Conflict is inevitable. Why? It's inevitable because we're selfish. And James tells us here. What causes fights and quarrels among you? It's a question that we just asked. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want, so you quarrel and fight. He's saying this is why conflict is inevitable, because we're selfish people, and we want something, and when we don't get it, This becomes the essence of conflict. Here's the reality, guys. Conflict has a lot less to do with the relationship and a whole lot more to do with your selfishness. Hello. He's saying this is the reason why you get into arguments and conflicts and fights because you have something that you want, but you don't get it. Let's talk about some examples. How many of you have ever gotten angry <laughs> because you were hungry? Yeah? Okay. Some of you, okay, in about 10, 20 minutes, are going to start getting really mad at me, not because of something that I'm saying, but because you're hungry and you're wondering why I'm talking for so long. This is called getting hangry. I think about the very, the very definition of the Break it down. You're angry because you're hungry. Does that make any sense? Like, why would you get mad at me when you're the one with the issue? So, the other day, uh, Tuesday night, uh, my eight-year-old daughter, Manny, had an orthodontist appointment. And so we went there. And then we had a couple hours before we went to house church. And so we went to Barnes & Noble. Just the two of us were hanging out. Uh, She wanted to read, and I wanted to do a little bit of work. But I hadn't eaten for a a while. So I said, Manny, uh, let's go to the kids' section. You get a book, and then we're going to go to the cafe, and we're going to... Uh, split a pizza pretzel yeah it's gonna be awesome she so said okay so we went over there um i'm getting pretty hungry and so manny's looking through the list of the the, the section of books and mm. i was like manny come on pick a book <laughs> <laughs> she's like i know exactly what i want daddy but the book is not here i said pick another book then she's like hmm daddy can you help me pick a book i was like there's like a thousand books here. All you need to do is pick one. So I said, here, t- take this one. And I gave it to her. She's like, I already read that one. I said, okay, there's a, how, how about this? And, and, and I pulled out another one. She's like, no, that's Ninjago. Elijah likes Ninjago. I don't like Ninjago. It's like, Manny, just, I mean, what do you, you want to read? It's like, I want to read a, 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 an encyclopedia about some, you know, some, book or some others. I pulled out this sports encyclopedia. I said, here's a good one. She's like, no, Daddy, I don't want that one. I said, Manny, just pick a book. Let's go eat. Just pick a book. And she's like, Daddy, I can't decide between American Girl cookbook and, and Betty Crocker's cookbook. And then she started getting sad. And then I realized, man, I got upset at my daughter because I was hungry. What a jerk. Like, who does that? It's not like she was sitting there, you know, and this is something that our, our marriage and parenting conference tells us. She wasn't sitting there saying, oh yeah, I'm going to play this game on my dad to see if he can pass out of starvation. Ha <laughs> this is really exciting for her. She didn't say that. She's just trying to figure out if she wants to read Betty Crocker or American Girl. And I got mad at her. Why? Because I'm selfish. That's my reality. Think about the last three, four, or five conflicts that you got into with somebody that you're close to. Your parents, your sister, your brother, your friend, your spouse. What was it that you were not getting that caused you to act out in that way? In a, in a few hours, we're going to play Missions this basketball tournament. We've been having a great time, uh, great time. We have referees who are awesome. But sometimes, because they're not professionals, they don't catch every call. No one pays them. To make the calls. It's not their job. They're doing the best they can. No one gives them money to say, hey, can you make a few calls on my behalf and miss a few calls for the other? No one's doing. There's no conspiracy theory. They're doing the very best that they can. So why is it then that people get upset at them? I can't believe you missed that call. I'll tell you why. Because the people who complain are selfish, and there's something that they want that they're not getting. What is it? They missed a shot. They thought they got fouled. Ref, what's wrong with you? How could you miss that call? What they're really saying, what they really mean to say, if they're honest, is, Ref, there's a lot of people around me, and what I really want, the last thing I want, is to look like I shot up a horrendous shot, and that's what they're thinking right now, and if you don't call a foul, then they're going to think that I'm awful at basketball. You need to call that. And that's what we're thinking deep in our hearts because we're selfish. No, I'm not selfish, DL. You got it all wrong. I just want a fairly called game. Maybe you do. Some small part of you does. But listen, when's the last time you got that upset at a referee because they missed a call that went for you? That you, They missed you fouling somebody and they didn't call that. Ref, what's wrong with you? How could you miss that? I fouled him. I totally fouled him. He should be at the foul line. I hit the ball out of bounds. You don't do that. Yeah, there's a part of you that might want justice in a fairly called game, but the deeper issue is that you're selfish, and so am I. There's something that we want that we could not get, therefore there's conflict. And here's the deal. Whenever we compete, we cannot complete. (laughs) So there's something that we want that we're not getting that causes conflict. One last one here. Because when these desires get out of control, these desires, good desires, even nice desires, when they become ultimate desires, they become idols. And idols will always destroy relationships. I was talking with a, a couple, a husband and wife, parents, and the husband was telling me about a time and he and his daughter went out to Chick-fil-A. She was playing with a toy that she got from her, uh, from her kid's meal at, at Chick-fil-A. And she was playing in the playground, and he was, he was watching her play, and there was a couple other kids. And she put her toy down, and then next thing you know, it was gone. A couple minutes later, she's like, Daddy, I lost my toy. And there was another boy, same age, about five years old, who had that same toy, and he was running around with it. And she said, that's my toy. And so this dad said to that boy, hey, that's my daughter's toy. You, should give it, you need to give it back to her. And he said, that's not her toy. That's my toy. I got it in my kid's meal. He's like, no, it's not. It was right there. She put it down. It's gone now. You've got it. It's her toy. You need to give it back to her. He said, that's not her toy. And he started, he started yelling at the, at the dad, not his dad, but, some, but the other the person I'm talking to. So this boy starts yelling at the dad, it's not her toy. It's my toy. I bought it. I got my kid's meal. This is my toy. And as he's telling the story, he said, at the end, he was being so disrespectful. My daughter was crying. I wanted to beat that kid up. That's what he said. His wife looked at him and said, are you kidding me? She said, it's a toy that you got for free in a kid's meal at Chick-fil-A that costs less than a dollar. You could just go buy another one. And he said, he made our daughter cry. And she said, you wanted to beat up another kid. You 40-year-old man wanted to beat up a 5-year-old kid over a $1 toy that made your daughter cry. What was he revealing? He was revealing that his child had become his idol. I mean, think about that. You would beat up a 5-year-old because your daughter's crying? That's ridiculous. Because here's the reality. We get into conflict with people because we're selfish and conflict reveals these desires to us. And when these desires get out of control, They become an idol. Conflict can reveal our idols. If there's a a constant theme to your conflict, you're always fighting because of X, Y, Z. I'm always fighting with my parents because they won't give me the freedom that I want or because they won't give me the phone that I want or because they won't give me the time alone that I want or I'm always fighting with my spouse because they won't give me the respect that I want or they won't give me the affirmation, whatever it might be. If these things overshadow God as the ultimate thing in our lives, then that thing has become an idol. Can I tell you, the conflict can reveal an idol, but there are some ways that you can confirm your idolatry. One, what are the things that you dream about? If only I could have this thing in my life, then life would be complete. What are the things that you dream about? That'll reveal your idols to you. What are the things you have nightmares about? If this thing were gone from my life, my life would fall apart. What's that thing in your life? If this were taken from me, I couldn't live. If this idea, if this person, if this possession, if this thing was taken from me, if this dream was taken from me, then I don't don't think that life is worth living anymore. Therein lies your idol. What do you dream about? What do you nightmare about? What do you scheme about? And what do you spend all night thinking about? If only this, then I can get that. That you would even compromise yourself, your morals, your values. That I would beat up a five-year-old kid in order to get something. What are the things that you scheme about that you would compromise your values, your personhood, the very essence of who you are in order to have? That is your idol. Then what do you protect with all of your life? Right? I will let anybody have anything except for this thing. What do you protect with all of your heart? These things reveal our eyes. So the thing about conflict, man, it's a colonoscopy that reveals what's going on inside. Like I said, it has a whole lot more to do with you and me and our selfishness and our desires than it does about what that person did to us. Conflict is God's way of revealing what lies beneath the surface, and if you're in conflict constantly, then what God is trying to tell you, very simply, is that you are selfish. And if you're in more conflict than most people, then what He's trying to tell you is that you are very selfish. You learned this if you took Harvest Tool, and you learned this when we introduced your, when we introduced you to Bob. Bob came and he shared his testimony, and here's Bob's principle. If Bob has a problem with everybody, then Bob is the problem. You understand this? It's not, yeah, everyone in the world is annoying, but if you've got a problem with everyone, then sometimes you need to turn the mirror inwardly and realize that maybe I'm the problem. Maybe I've got these unmet desires that have become everything in my life, and because I'm not getting them, I'm beating people up all around me. I'm getting into fights with people all around me. What causes these conflicts? He doesn't say it's because people are annoying, even though that's true. But it says because of these desires, don't they come from your desires? That battle within you. You want it, but you can't get it. The first thing we see, guys, that conflict is inevitable because we're selfish, and conflict reveals our desires. The second thing, though, second thing that we see is conflict can cause a great rift. Or it can be a great gift. And often the choice is yours. Conflict will do one of two things. It will either drive a wedge between a relationship or it can be one of the greatest gifts to a relationship. And oftentimes the choice is yours. What are you going to do in that situation? John Gottman is one of the best marriage uh, counselors, marriage therapists out there. And he says, the number one indicator, okay, the number one indicator of marital longevity is how well the couple learns to deal with conflict. Because, again, conflict is inevitable because marriage and relationships are the union of two annoying sinners. Conflict is inevitable, but how are you going to deal with that? That's what determines whether it causes a rift, which is a division, or it becomes a gift. There's one, uh, one counselor, he says, that he knows when he goes to a wedding, there's one part in the wedding service, in the wedding ceremony, in the entire wedding festivity, He says there's one time I, I can just observe that one thing and I can tell you the health of their relationship in 10 years. One part of the wedding. Very interesting, right? What do you think that is? There's a lot of things that you might say, but he says, and again, this is not, uh, I don't, I'm, I'm giving this for illustration. This is not scientific or anything. But he says the one thing he sees is when they cut the cake and they feed each other. He says, based on how they respond in that moment when someone gets caked on their nose, how the other person responds is going to be an indication of their marital health. What do they do? Do they get angry and storm off and run away? Do they get angry and do they take the whole cake and throw it in their bride's face? What do they do? Do they laugh it off and and play it as a joke and and say, hey, you know, it's okay? Because God's way of talking about conflict is different from what we often think. When we think about conflict, what we often think about is carnage, bloodshed, war. I Googled uh, 10 biggest conflicts in the world, and they're all like nasty war, one nation against another nation, one family against another family, and it never ends pretty. But God's version of conflict is that it's not a zero-sum game. It's not one person has to win and another person has to lose. God's vision of conflict is that it is a gift that causes the relationship to go deeper in order that we may not win the argument in order that we can win the relationship because that's what matters, that relationships and conflict in relationship should be biblically handled a win-win proposition. But the question is, how do you deal with? with conflict in your life. This is huge. Because a lot of us, we look at the way our parents had conflict. We think about their conflict and we think we model after them and a lot of it is, is healthy and a lot of it is unhealthy. But what do you do? Is the conflict that you experience in your closest relationships deepening an in intimacy so that you call it a gift or has it constantly been causing a rift in your relationships? How do you deal with, with conflict, I want to uh, introduce some friends who are going to help us to understand several different ways of dealing with conflict. Here, uh, these friends are inanimate objects, but they will help in illustrating. All right. Okay, here's the first one. Maybe a little bit difficult to see, but here's the first person. Right. This is Elijah's hammerhead shark. Right. It's a shark. Some of us when we The first smell of conflict, we begin to smell blood, and we get excited about it, and we charge towards the conflict. Uh, I think Teddy Roosevelt was famous for being like this, Winston Churchill. They say they could not have a relationship where there was not conflict because they saw conflict as an opportunity to exercise their dominance and their aggression and to show that I am right and I am always right, and there's always bloodshed if you're a shark. Do you love conflict? Do you love picking on people? Right. Do you wish that in your former life or in your future life or when you grow up that you want to be a prosecuting attorney showing everybody how right you are? Right. Some people are like that. Sharks are like that. They love conflict. Do, 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 do. They smell blood and they go for the jugular. They're always drawn to conflict. Some of you might be like that. This might be a little bit hard to see, but that's okay. This one is even harder to see. This is a parrot. Right? I think this is a parrot. i said it's a parrot because its beak looks like a parrot, but... Let's pretend this is a parrot, right? This parrot might be a little bit hard to see, as parrots are, but if I turned it on, this digibird parrot would be very difficult to not hear. Parrots may be hard to see, but they're very easy to hear because they're constantly yapping, 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 talking to everybody who will listen about their conflict and what the other person did wrong to them. Constantly talk. You know what this is called? This is called gossip. And wherever there is gossip, there is carnage. Some people are so good at getting into conflict and wanting to spread carnage that they're really good at talking to everybody around them except the person with whom they've got beef. Right? Parrots always gossip, and gossip always leads to carnage, not just in that relationship, but in the circle of influence that the parrot is speaking to. Right? Don't be a parrot. The third thing, uh, some of us, you can't really tell, this is, a, this is a turtle. It's very cute, very cute. Some of us are like turtles, and I know uh, we have a brother in our congregation who loves turtles, so don't take this personally. But um, this is a turtle. Some of us are like turtles. When conflict comes, we withdraw into our shell. We isolate ourselves. We do whatever it takes to avoid the person with whom we are in conflict with. We do things like saying, you know what, I'm just going gonna, gonna to go somewhere else. I'm going to stop coming to church for a month. I'm going to stop coming to house church for a month. Or I'm going to, hey, is it even possible for me to uh, to find somewhere else to go to church? This would be even better. This is what we do. We're so avoidant of conflict. And what happens with turtles oftentimes is that they find pseudo-anger alternatives. They find alternatives to anger rather than sp- Uh, talking about their issues with the person and resolving conflict, they turn the anger inward, and this oftentimes obviously leads to isolation, leads to anger, and anger turned inwards always leads to depression. And instead of dealing with the issue, the carnage is with themselves. Some of us uh, are like turtles. And then others of us, also similar to turtles, do not like conflict, but we're like, these cute little puppy dogs, right? Cute little puppy dog wants to be everybody's best friend. They can't stand conflict. And so when they see conflict, they, they want to they go and lick the person's face. They want to suck up. They want to do whatever it can, they can in order to soothe over the relationship. I'm so sorry. Let me take you out to a $1,000 steak restaurant. And I wish I was friends with a puppy like this. But they do things like that. Right? Oh, my goodness. You know what? Uh, I, they can't stand the sight of somebody being upset at them. I was talking with someone this week, actually. This was a a big deal in a relationship. Um, Someone called me up, uh, and they're like, hey, um, I've got a problem with somebody in our church. This is in another state in Texas. And they said, this person is so like a puppy dog, conflict avoidant, that they cannot stand that if someone, even one person out of hundreds, is upset at them, they will do whatever they can to appease them. But they will do nothing to fix the actual conflict. How do you fight? How do you conflict? Are you like this? You like a, a shark that goes for the kill? You like a parrot that goes and talks to everybody? You like a turtle that withdraws? You like a puppy that just wants everybody to like you? How do you respond to conflict? Because each of these ways of responding to conflict will ultimately cause a rift in the relationship. But what God says, says there is a better way. Okay, There's a better way. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, including conflict relationally, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, perseverance, Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Here's what God is saying. He's saying conflict doesn't need to cause a rift in your relationship. It could actually be the greatest gift to you in that it causes you to actually become mature because apart from this, you cannot become mature. All of a sudden, when you realize that there is another alternative man, we can begin to see that conflict is actually a gift, that God is using this to make us mature and to take us deeper as a person and as a community. And when we begin to realize that conflict has a lot more to do with me and my selfishness than it has to do with them and their dysfunctions, then we can actually own the part of our relational conflict that is ours to own. Whether it's 50%, whether it's 100%, whether it's 1%, we can own what's ours. And then what happens is we stop demonizing the other person and thinking that they are the enemy. Why did I get mad at my 8-year-old daughter? Because I was hungry. When I begin to realize that conflict is actually a gift that helps me to become mature, I can move towards my daughter and say, I'm sorry. This is not about you at all. It's not about you at all. Sammy A., he's a a pastor up in Atlanta. He said, this one sentence, if you can learn this one sentence based on what James says, then you can help to defuse much of the conflict in your life. If you can learn to say, I'm sorry, the reason I'm upset is because I did not get what I wanted. That's huge. I'm sorry, the reason I was upset Because I did not get what I wanted. Yeah, you can write this down. That's okay. There's no shame in that. Manny, I'm sorry. The reason Daddy was upset is because (laughs) I was hungry. I didn't get the food that I wanted. Olive, I'm upset. I'm sorry. The reason I was upset is because I didn't get the affirmation that I wanted from you. Guys, I'm upset. I'm sorry. The reason I was upset is because I didn't get something that I wanted from you. And every counselor will tell you that the number one way to take off the fig leaves, to get a patient to take off their fig leaves and to come honest, is not by persuading, not by pushing, not by pleading, not by punching, but by the therapist himself or herself beginning with vulnerability by taking off the fig leaves and modeling that. The number one way, because vulnerability begets vulnerability hey, I'm sorry, I was upset because I wanted to get a little bit more sleep and you didn't let me get that sleep. It's not that you're a bad kid. It's that I didn't get the sleep that I wanted. I'm sorry, I got mad at you. The reason I was upset is because I love comfort way too much and I was comfortable and I didn't want to get off the sofa to change the channel and neither did you. I'm sorry, the reason I was upset Called you an idiot for standing in the pathway of the TV and, and, and my, my line of sight. Not because you're an idiot. Because I'm selfish. And I want to see that one thing that I could have just rewind on the DVR. I'm sorry. How much conflict can be diffused if we actually do what Jesus said? And instead of looking at a magnifying, through a magnifying glass at the faults of other people, we looked in a mirror and saw our own faults. How much conflict could be diffused in that way? And then when you enter into a relationship or into your small group or into your, your Sunday school class or into your marriage or into your house church or into your, your, your workplace and, and you, you lead in that way, do you think that vulnerability on your part could lead to vulnerability on another person's part? Could I actually bring to the table things that you guys were too comfortable to talk about before? because you had your desire for privacy and for comfort and not let things get messy, that we just glossed over everything. But you bring these messy things to the table, and you begin to forgive, and you begin to love, and you begin to shed tears, and you begin to say, I'm sorry. Maybe the reason why we're experiencing conflict in our marriages, in our families, in our relationships, is because we've come to a place of stagnancy and stagnation. And God is saying, hey, I'm going to give you a gift. It's going to help you guys get deeper. I'm going to inject this high octane fuel into your, bam, the gas tank of your relationships and let it go and watch you guys get deeper. Because there's a better way than a shark knows. There's a better way than a turtle knows. There's a better way than a puppy knows. There's a better way than a parrot knows. When Jesus looked at the conflict in our world, that brokenness that was 100% ours and 0% God's. Jesus came not like any of these, but he came as a lamb. Sacrificial lamb. Because you see, the rift that was caused between us and God was not something that we could resolve on our own. In fact, we didn't want to. We, did, we caused it, but we didn't even want any part to do with God. It's not that God didn't. God wanted with everything within him. But he did not wait for us to come back to him, but he sent his son into the world as a sacrificial lamb. All of the sacrifices in the Old Testament were pointing to this one simple thing. Why a lamb? Because a lamb needed to die. And the picture of the Old Testament lamb was that there is sin, We're not going to turn a blind eye to the truth. The truth is that we ruined our relationship with God. Jesus didn't gloss over the truth. He called it out for what it was, but he also said, I will take the place of sinful humanity and I will be crucified for it. There was not only truth, but there was forgiveness that Jesus brought into the equation that none of these kinds of relationships could ever have. He said, this is the paradigm. This is what it is to have relationships with people is we don't discount the truth. We call truth, truth. We speak it for what it is. But John 1 says, Jesus came full of not only truth, but he came full of grace as well. We lead in that way with the truth of our own lives. Hey, you know what? I messed up. I'm sorry. I was upset because I didn't get what I wanted. And when truth is met with grace, there's power in that place. Power in those kinds of relationships. Jesus says there's a better way. James says there's a better way. We're going to see in the next couple weeks there are better ways to do it than what we're presently doing because there's a gift that God wants to give to our communities through the gift of conflict. And then he says in Matthew 5, 9, when you become a peacemaker, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. When you begin to make peace in conflict, places of conflict, you begin to show the otherworldly kind of gospel that the world does not have. These are the best things that the world can do, but they cannot go below the surface. And that's what Jesus alone can do. A couple weeks, the next couple weeks, we're going to see how. But this is where it starts. We've got to look within. We've got to look at our hearts. We've got to see the selfishness within. And only through our hearts being changed can our lives and our relationships be changed. But it's worth it. It's a gift that God wants to give to us. Let's pray. Let's pray. Uh, I I don't want us to even think about, you know, the relational conflict that we have right now um, in terms of praying for other people. We can do that. We'll do that in other times and other places. But this morning, I just want to encourage you to look into your own heart. The conflict that you've been experiencing in your life, what is that showing what are the desires that are being revealed? What are the idols that are being revealed? Some of us, it's an idol of reputation. Some of us, an idol of our family. Some of us, it's a relate, an idol of, our, uh, of the picture-perfect world that we have. Maybe it's an idol of success, an idol of money, an idol of our children, an idol of our parents, an idol of who I consider to be my closest circle of friends. And if anyone impinges upon that, then I get upset because I feel like it speaks badly against me. What are the things that you're not getting that have caused conflict in your life? And in what ways are you responding in unhealthy ways? Like a shark, like a turtle, like a parrot, like a puppy. What are the ways in which you're responding in ways that are not healthy? God wants to touch our hearts. He wants to change us so that we can go deeper as a church and deeper as a community and deeper in marriages and deeper in families Ask the Lord God, search my heart, oh God. Search my heart, oh God. Let's do some homework. Do some heart work. Let God see. Let God show. Let God reveal. And don't run from what he shows you. Let's move towards it. God's gift to us. doesn't have to cause rift. It's a gift. Shapes and molds and changes us. Let's pray for a couple minutes right now. Searching our hearts. Asking for forgiveness. Forgive me. Change my heart. Loosen the grip. The only way we let go of idols is we worship the true God. Lord, help me to worship you instead. Let's pray for a couple moments, and then I'll pray for us. Father in heaven, we, we thank you for the painful gift of self-revelation, your revelation of ourselves, the uncomfortable and painful process of seeing what lies beneath the surface, things that other people might assume is wrong with us, things that other people might diagnose us to have, things that we're afraid Will be revealed to us. Father, our conflicts reveal so much about ourselves and about our selfishness and about our need and about our brokenness. We ask that we would bring these things that you surface before you. Lay them at your feet, the foot of the cross, whatever you've surfaced. Our pride, our idols, our unfulfilled desires. We look to this world rather than to you to satisfy We lay them before the cross and ask that the cleansing fountain, the blood of Jesus Christ, would wash us and cleanse us. That in receiving your grace, we might go and extend grace to other people. That we might begin and initiate conversations this week that begin by saying, you know what, I'm sorry, the reason I was upset is because I didn't get what I wanted and there would be reconciliation, and there would be healing, and there would be life, and there would be hope, and there would be a witness that is powerful, that testifies to the beauty of Christ in us. How many times do we need to do it, though? They've messed us up. Seventy times seven. You keep doing it because there will always be your part in it. Father, we confess this is hard. We need your grace. We need your strength. We need your power. Lord, we know that on the flip side, there will be such peace and joy. So Lord, take us deeper. We need you. We need you so much. Help us. In Jesus' name we pray.